Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Welcome to Another Fright Fest preview podcast with Britflix. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Louis Melville, the writer-director of Boots on the Ground. Hello, Louis. Hello, Stuart. Good talking to you. Yes. I'm um, so glad that you've asked me to come on and have a chat about Boots on the Ground, which is our new film that's premiering at uh, Fright Fest in August. World premiering, we should add. Yes, yes, absolutely right. World premiering at Fright Fest in August. So, so, so people can be ready for be ready for that. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what Boots on the Ground is? Yep. Uh, basically, Boots on the Ground has actually made a little bit of film history. Okay. By, by being the first British film to be shot entirely by its actors wearing head caps. Okay. And we mean literally the whole film has been filmed by the actors. The story, the storyline is, it's the last night of the British in Afghanistan. It's October 14th, they're just about to pull out. All they have to do is stay alive till midnight, and it's seven o'clock. They're being chased down by a group of Taliban and have to find somewhere to hold up. They find an old fort, which was originally left over from the first Afghan war thinking themselves safe, they hold up in there. Once they get in there, they find things aren't quite what they think, and as the night transpires, it gets harder and harder to stay alive because what they start to realise they're fighting is actually possibly more than just the Taliban. Yes, I think it's safe to say supernatural forces are at play. Yes, one could say the dark of the night is definitely there. Indeed, indeed. Well, thanks for that. Um, now, you've, you've already alluded to um, the, the style of the movie uh, and, 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 and therefore its innovation. So let's, let's, um, let's start there. So as I understand it, you, you wrote the script. You, you, sorry, you thought of the shooting style first and then wrote the script to come up with the idea to make that shooting style work. Is that right? 
yeah, uh, what happened was um, the genesis really was starting to look at footage on YouTube of actual combat footage that okay. soldiers um, were just going out and buying their own cameras and going into combat with their cameras and then posting that footage on YouTube. And for some time, we've been thinking we want to make uh, a more intimate film. We want to make something different. And seeing that footage and how immersive it made you feel, we felt, yes, this is where we need to go. Let's find a story, construct a story that can work with soldiers wearing head cams and then trying to work out the technology to get the cameras that worked and that we could put into changeable lenses and stuff like that on. So once we worked that out, then it was like, right, where do we set it? And originally, in the original drafts of the script, uh, the film was set, they come across a rush, an abandoned Russian Air Force base mm-hmm. from the first, uh, it, when Russia invaded Afghanistan. Right. And we went out and looked for those locations and found a few uh, all abroad. And then one day I was out walking my dogs and I found these two Napoleonic forts that nobody had filmed in before. And we looked at those and went, actually, we can transpose the story to the forts because of the British-Afghan War of 1840, the British did build some forts in Afghanistan. Okay. So we had a rationale and a historical um, juxtaposition for our location. Excellent. So you're saying, you're saying instead of abroad, you found it on your doorstep? Literally. literally um, I moved to Dover mm-hmm. in Kent, and out of my window, there is this large hill. And I walked up the hill, and inside the hill is a Napoleonic fort. And then I found out, actually, on the other hill, there was another one. So we combined these two forts to make the one fort you see in the film. Okay. But they uh, are actually dating from 1840. How, how, does it, how does it look on the page, what, what, what you, what, how you script it, given the, the, the style you were doing with, the, uh, with the, the point of view being from each actor? Camera. It, it was very tightly scripted, actually, okay. uh, with a lot of the cutoff points and whose POV. The main thing in the script, which made it look a lot more unusual than a normal script, and especially when the actors first looked at it, they were sort of like, the layout of this script looks different. Because mm. it would always have whose POV we were following. So we instead, of, instead of a slug line of interior, you'd have Swifty or whatever. You'd have um, interior, money room, night, Swifties, POV, okay. and then actually putting the cuts in as well a lot of the time. Oh, right, okay. Cut, cut to Ollie's POV as Ollie walks out the door. So we tried to give it that fluidity mm. um, where we knew where we were going to move to next and to keep the fluidity which actor we were going to be on. Of course, because all the other cameras are running all the time, you get these little nuggets, you know, these absolute gems that you weren't expecting, that somebody else does something. Mm. When, because we said to all the actors, right, from when we say action to when we say cut, 
no matter who we're actually going to cut to in the end, or where you are in the fort, we might actually use that footage. And quite often that's what we did. We actually, um, in some of the scenes where you've just got one actor's POV, yeah. we'd say, right, this is you know, what you're doing at this time, go off and do it. And he'd just be off around the fort for 10, 15 minutes, just doing stuff on his own. So, so almost like, so what you're saying is it it was like like unsupervised shooting of a film, uh, but highly structured all at the same time. No, no, no. I understand. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean it was chaos. But I mean it's yeah. like. Yeah, but you were saying because obviously for an actor, they're used to seeing the the crew, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. So so, so to say to an actor go off and do something must have been like a, I mean how did that conversation how did you grow that conversation so you could grow they could be confident and, and, and equally you could be confident that they knew what they were going to go and do what I, I think we we brought the actors in we eased them into it by shooting the large opening sequences of the first day first scene okay that way, and that was a big scene, they were actually moving over a mile unsupervised in a combat situation with explosions going off and guns firing at them. Mm. And those takes would take about, for them to travel that mile, with where we, we'd blocked it all out, where we'd say, right, you stop here, this is where you do this bit of dialogue, then you move here, then get up to here, then stop here, then move again sort of situation but allowed them to work out their own timings within that. And because that was day one, and it worked, we allowed them to look at the rushes. Mm. It gave them the confidence to like go, okay, right, we sort of get this now. And they got to the point where they're actually embracing it, and you'll see you know, some of the takes we've got. Um, even from a single POV, will run for 30, 40, 50 seconds. Yeah. And it heightens the tension, what we've found. When, because it slightly becomes more immersive for, for the audience. Well, this is what we're hoping. Mm. Well, it has, I mean, it has that, um, it, sort of, it sort of has that combination of, um, of, of knowing you're in a film, but because, because of the language of, say, video games, and given they've got guns, there is, and, and they're in tight spaces. There is also, there's that view that you feel like you're in as well. You know that, that you're part, you're part. The immersive thing is for you, the viewer, isn't it? You feel like, although you haven't got control, it can feel like that sometimes. Certainly, the the the, the, the faster scenes, where you, where it, where it gets a bit manic. There's a te there's, that, that's where the, I guess that's where the enjoyment is for 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 me, the watcher, is that I I can go okay, I'm with this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is very much, I suppose, in some ways, you could describe it as a sort of new hybrid. Mm. It, is, it is somewhere between a game without control mm. and a more immersive way of film. Because, because, I mean, one of the big, I mean, when I was thinking about it after, after seeing it, it's the, 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 the obvious reference is, is the, um, the well-worn subgenre of found footage, but the difference is... This isn't a kind of cut and paste edit of what went before. We're in the action as it's happening, aren't we? I mean, and, and, I, know, and, and I know you structure the, the story to, to, in, in, in sort of in a backwards forwards way, but but in terms of the action we're watching, we are seeing 
the cameras as if we're seeing through the eyes of the soldiers, aren't we? Very, 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 very much so. That's why we wanted, even though it goes over a, um, a seven-hour period, we mm. wanted to feel as much as possible as if it, it, it's like real time. Mm. And you're sort of jumping forward uh, a little bit as the night goes on. But you, as the, they keep constantly moving, they're moving from place to place, they're moving within the scene. Um, it's normally their moves are generated by an order to go to this other room, to do this, to do that. So we were trying to look for this fluidity um, for the audience that they could sort of click into a character quite easily and drop in and write, okay, I'm now with Mo, okay, now I'm with Swifty, da da da, and move with them through the scene. Because mm, it's, it's the, and when there's more than one of them, and certainly where there's just two of them, it's it's a combo, isn't it? Because obviously we're used to seeing somebody's face, so what we get is say Swifty's point of view looking at one of his colleagues. So therefore, the action we see is of the colleague. Yes, but it's, but it's through well, obviously through the eyes of Swifty, it's through the eyes of the captain and whatever. So in that mm. sense, it's it's sort of it's twofold, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's very hard to sort of encapsulate without somebody seeing it in some ways because it does differ from the norm. And as you say, with a video game, you're very much, um, you are the character and you have control of the character, whereas this, you are the character, but you're not the character, but you're seeing what the character sees. So talk, talk me through, I mean, I think, I think given, given the way the genesis of it, as you said, was sort of seeing these YouTube clips of soldiers, which I think I've seen some myself. Um, so I think that, they, that you know, they, they, a few have gone viral. So I think it's it's a language I think we understand now. I mean, especially you've only got to look at um, cyclist videos and motorcyclist videos following accidents and stuff. There's this whole kind of culture of, and, and you know, policemen wear cameras, body cameras, don't they? Debt collectors wear body cameras. So there's this there's this thing now, isn't there, that in our culture of this kind of GoPro point of view of the world. So that, in that sense, it's not that it's not that unusual for us to see. Obviously, it's unusual to see it in terms of a, of, of, a, of a fictional narrative that you've created, which I guess is that's where you you've enjoyed the kind of innovation of it as a filmmaker. Yeah, very very much so. I, I think we were we were lucky. We were lucky with our timing that possibly if we'd have made this film when we because we started three years ago okay uh, to try and raise the money and everything it took us three years we got very close quite a few times and the main bugbear was people were going yeah we love the script we love the script we love the cast we're not sure if it can work this way mm. and i think it took those three years as you say of now please coming in with body cameras deck collectors etc bicycles cars everything else now having cameras that that language that visual language was more universal thus more acceptable so people then went okay yeah we get this now whereas even three years ago people were still having a trouble getting their head around it in a narrative situation yeah and also just just the, just the tradition of i mean i think when when, when sort of found footage was for, was first born as, as, as a cinema trope, um, it, was, um, it was still about the novelty of the fact we've got these things that are so tiny now we can carry them around without noticing they're there. So the leap 
to something you could wear and not know you're wearing and not be conscious of wearing it is, is, is a bigger leap, isn't it? That, uh, that kind of fixed... Like just an extension of your body, isn't it? Which is an, which is what gives you, gives you that continuity and that flow, doesn't it? Well, it, I think you summed it up perfectly. It gives you the flow. Mm. Where the other found footage movies up until now, um, it, it is very much that question of why don't they just put the camera down and run away? Mm. No, for sure. Whereas this, obviously, they have the cameras, and also the, there's another level to this that. Um, I'm hoping the audiences will explore, is, is anybody else seeing those cameras? Is anybody in any character in that film being given different information? Is anybody being ordered to do something? Mm. Is some out-of-force driving this? Well, the, the questions are certainly there in the way the drama pans out, that's for sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give any details away, but yeah. yeah those questions... <laughs> those questions, those questions are there. So talk us through with, with this technique. Then talk. I mean, because it is quite, quite the epic moment. Your kind of ten-minute-long single take, um, which obviously is multiple cameras. So in a funny sense, it's 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 <laughs> it's like a rolling single take, isn't it? In a way. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, you have once we get into the edit, we mm. we've got five different POVs to play with. Yeah. Which is fantastic, rather than it just running through one POV. But with that particular take um, that you're referring to, yeah, way we structured that was very much. In fact, we've got two takes, um, two different scenes that are around ten, six, seven, eight minutes long each. Mm. Um, with both of those, what we did, with, as I said, we take the actors, we walk them through it, and because especially one of them is a combat scene mm. where you'd say, right, you come around the corner now, this has just happened, you will be taking fire, there will be explosions, uh, etc. Get to this cover. Once you hit this cover, here's where you do these little bits of dialogue um, to move the action on. Then we walk them right through and down and over dale and over hill, as you, you'll see, and got them to a point where we said, okay, stop here. Do the last bit of your dialogue here, and then we'll cut out. Mm. And so they went fine, and we'd literally, to allow them the freedom, we'd move back, call action, and then they'd go. And literally, you know, we've got no monitors that can let us see what's happening. So they would just go, and we'd wait. And we'd sit and wait until they came back. And they'd come back and we'd look at the footage um, just very quickly on iPads um, just to see what we've got and then go have a conversation with all the actors to feel how did they feel it went? Did anybody do something that they thought was a problem within the scene? Mm. Once established that it was fine, but the weird thing was when we looked at, uh, played it back, I went, you know that point where I told you to stop? Uh, you did. You actually went on and improvised the scene a bit more. But that's fantastic. That's what we want you to do. And that was our first scene, first take. Mm. So we knew the actors were engaging and understanding how this was going to, the structure of it was going to work. Yeah, because it's, it's interesting, because for, for the, the, the normal challenge, for want of a better expression, for an actor is to, is to know what they're meant to do on, on camera. Now, 
that's about performing for the camera. But if you're also performing for the movement of the camera to sort of, you know, to show a point of view and also a point of view that's being shot at, then then the camera's got to do some moving, hasn't it? Because it reflects. It not only, but then also there's whatever moving you're doing could be the movement that somebody else's camera is also picking up that you, as the as the director who's going to be looking at the edit, could choose to be the performance. It's like it's like double jeopardy, isn't it? It's, uh... <laughs> I cannot uh, express what an incredible job the actors did because, yeah. as you say, most actors walking onto a set, he's thinking about his performance, his, his um, character within the space. Mm. But also, not only did they have to film the other actors and film when it was only their POV, you know, you're just given an empty space and how do I make this empty space what I want the empty space to be when it's just my POV? Mm. So I'm acting through my POV, which is an incredibly hard thing to do. But on top of that, half of the scenes, they were actually lighting themselves with the torches on their guns and they were lighting each other so they got so far into the groove that they could actually remember that they had to turn and light with their torch, the other actor, as they filmed him. God, what, a, what the power, the power of digital shooting. <laughs> I say the power of shooting on digital is... Uh... Yeah, uh, the, the freedom, it, because what, well, the way we adapted the cameras, we had eight-hour batteries okay. for the cameras. So we could just leave the running. And also they were wearing their own sound gear as well. And the sound gear was running on batteries. So they were their own moving unit. So, so let me, so the obvious, the obvious question there then is, is on, obviously on, and you've got Boyd Skinner credited as your cinematographer. So it's a very different role for the cinematographer if, if he's not stood behind Kit, isn't it? He's, 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 he's harnessing Kit. And he's and you're, you're you're looking at the light. You're looking at what's going, where the movement's going to take place and the like. But so, how did those conversations develop? Because um, it must have been must have been different for for, the, for Boyd as much as the actors. It, it was it, it was again a totally different playing field that, than he'd ever encountered before. Yeah. Uh, but we had a long lead time because I've known Boyd for a long time and we've worked together on numerous projects. Mm. We spent a lot of time going, how are we going to do this? We're, we're in a wood in the middle of the night and I don't want a generator and I don't particularly want any lights. How the hell are we going to do this? And we've got actors moving across rough terrain in, unless we stick some light in there, pitch dark. And... Boyd actually went and built things for us. He built lights made out of loads of tiny little LEDs that were on a large pole mm. that he'd have um, fixed on him like one of those harnesses you carry a flag in okay. a frame. Yeah, yeah, got you. And he'd walk behind the actors. That's interesting. Um, he'd do things like that. A lot of his role became more a technical role of actually making sure the cameras were working, the lens, the right lens was on, because we can put it... The way we adapted the cameras, 
uh, we could put interchangeable lenses on them. Um, we could adapt them to work in night vision. So we had all that on set. But it was his brief was, let's work out a way to light these scenes where the actors can work in a virtual 360. So they could virtually move anywhere and not see a light. So you're, in, putting, so you're kind of putting the, putting the pressure on you, the crew, and letting the, freeing the actors up to do what they want. Exactly. Because yeah. we felt the actors had so much pressure on them having to be cameramen as well. Mm-hmm. So we went, okay, we are going to try and give you total freedom as well. Whereas you don't, there's not marks to hit. There is certain, you know, we'd like you in this room. When you walk in this room, we'd like you to do this. But apart from that, do it the way you want. You know, here's the script, here's the dialogue. But once you get in somewhere, if you want to go off page, if you want to do something slightly differently, let's try it. We can look at it. You know, we've got time. We've got freedom. Um, We could just let everything run and see what we got, you know. And I personally think we found gold. Indeed, indeed. Now, it, it, it's it's obviously more than just uh, a technical exercise in uh, in strapping cameras to, uh, to to people dressed as soldiers. It is it is a horror film at the heart of it. So, do you want to tell us what what your inspiration was for the evil presence that you've you've added to this to this 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 story? Where is that yes. born out of? Uh, it's like all horror movies. Um, you're walking into somewhere with an audience and you want to scare that audience. That is the point of a horror film. If you don't scare the audience to a certain extent or at least have them on edge. I use the reference points of films like The Original Haunting with Richard Johnson from the 60s. If you actually analyse that film, it's a very scary film. Mm. What really happens? You know, there's some shaky doorknobs, there's this, that. So we were going for not that in-your-face slasher horror whatsoever. But also, again, because of the POV way of shooting, it doesn't allow you to do some of the normal horror tropes. Yeah. You know, the putting the, the, the malevolent presence between the camera and the actor. You can't do that when you've got a POV. Um, so, you, and having stuff that the audience sees that the actor doesn't see, you can't really do that either. We have just so out of the corner of frame, if you look very closely, there's things going on. But it would have to be in a situation where it would unlikely that the actor would see it and react to it. So we were faced with those sorts of problems, and that's how we approach it. It's a building sense of foreboding and things happen and things get strange and things unnerve the actors but with uh, the characters but within the, as the night gets stranger and stranger mm. you've also got the juxtaposition of what they've come across that then they sort of start to argue about and maybe want to covet so you've got that set of emotions going on as well. And in my mind, it's actually the money that is the evil 
it, it, it's a metaphor for a lot of things, the money. But it, it's the money that's evil, and everything that happens during the night derives from the money in a weird way. So, yeah, so just, just to clarify, part of what they discover is a big crate of hundreds of millions of dollars, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's, it's supposed to be $100 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a life-changing amount of money beyond, beyond anyone's wildest yeah. dreams, and, and that causes its own, its own rift. And the rift, I guess, um, is, is magnified by what else is going on because it's, I think it's safe to say, without you know, given given the context of a horror film, what 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 evil or malevolent force is is going on is playing with their sense of, I guess, time, place, and sanity would be a fair assumption, I, wouldn't it? That's a fabulous way to describe it. That is is exactly what they're playing with. Yeah. So, but just just from a story point of view, though, where did you where you know, and I can I get the metaphor, but where where what were you drawing on? Um, in terms of what you've, what evil you've put in the screenplay, what were you, what were you, what were you, th- where were you thinking of the rules of your evil, as it were, and things like that? How did you, how did you come up with the rules of your evil and things like that? Um, to a certain extent, the rules of the evil were driven by our shooting style. To a certain extent, okay, some things we couldn't do, but right, with, okay. within the rules of our evil, it was. Very much, uh, the, the first rule actually was less is more. L- you know, let's just have what's there is there, what is there is playing with them, but they themselves don't know if what is playing with them is actually playing with them or it's in their heads. Which, which I guess well, utilizes the, uh, the idea that drama happens in the performance, not always what you see. So if someone acts scared or is scared, that, that what, the, what we can't see or can see is irrelevant. We're, we're reacting to the character, aren't we? Exactly. It's, it's that human psyche. Mm. Um, the mind, obviously, can imagine much more, even well, today with VFX, what you can actually create on screen is phenomenal. But I still believe the mind can imagine things more. And because everyone is different, Every person finds different things scary. And you can present something to one person and they will find it not in the least scary or exciting. You can present exactly the same thing to somebody else and they will have nightmares for weeks. They will it, indeed. <laughs> it, is, it is absolutely phenomenal what the human psyche can create for itself. And a classic example is these plethora of sort of ghost hunting shows mm. where you have a few people walking around a house with some night vision going, yeah, I think I saw something. And audiences absolutely adore them. Well, look, Boots on the Ground has got its uh, world premiere at Frankfest, Bank Holiday Weekend August. Uh, I'll put a link in for details for tickets and stuff. Um, do, do you, is, is there, um, after your world premiere... Is there is there other festivals on the horizon for you, or have you got dates potentially scheduled for release, or is that all still in discussions? Uh, it, it's still sort of up in the air somewhat. Um, we're hoping towards the end of the year and early spring of next year there will be some international, uh, more international uh, festivals around the world getting a chance to see the film. 
luckily, since uh, we were in the Cannes Film, we were at the Cannes Film Festival where we did a deal with Movie House Entertainment, who mm-hmm. are doing world sales on the yeah. film to international distributors. Yeah. And there has been quite a considerable amount of interest. Excellent. So, and the interest is looking theatrical, which is great. That's super exciting, isn't it? That's where everybody wants it to go. And that's where we've always imagined this film would work initially. Um, so it is very much a question of everything is going in the right way, but it is the movie business. Indeed it is. Well, look, please keep us posted at BritFlix, because obviously we like to, we're obviously keen to promote British films. Um, so as you get news of release dates and the like, we can we can update the show notes to this podcast as and when, um, and we can we can get we can put out the news through the website too. Thanks so much, Stuart. It's the podcast. Hey. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.